Okay, so we are in First uh, John, and if you've noticed, we've moved along a little bit. So we're now getting ready to go into First John chapter 1, starting in verse 5, and this section will go all the way to chapter 2, verse 28. Okay, so that, that's the section that we're going to focus on. Now, um, not including the uh, introduction, which is the first four verses of First uh, John, uh, let me show you how I've outlined this epistle. Okay, um, so one on your study guide, uh, we have fellowship with God who is light. Light is the blank there. And the key verse for this is 1 John 1, five. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So that's your first blank. And then... Um, We have fellowship with God who is righteous, is your second blank. Righteous is the word. And uh, the key, pass, uh, key verse there is 1 John 3, 7. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous even as he is righteous. So that's the second word is righteous. First word is light, second word is righteous. And then number three... We have fellowship with God who is love. Love. 1 John 4, 7-8 through 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. God is love. And then the fourth uh, section is we have certainties certainties and assurances by our fellowship with God. Certainties and assurances. 1 John 5, 9 If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God which he hath testified of his Son. So certainties and assurances. So that's light, righteous love, certainties and assurances. Did you get that, Diane? All right. <laughs> so it is through the witness of God, which he testifieth of his Son, that we have this assurance of our salvation and the certainty of uh, fellowship with the Father. Okay, so that's very important for us. As I had mentioned at the beginning of our study of First John, it's written in such a way that John uh, introduces truth and then he builds on this truth and adds on to this truth. And that's what he does throughout his epistle, layer upon layer, facet upon facet. Uh, it's kind of like a, a, a gem. You know, you take a, a diamond or something and you turn it into light. Jewelers love to do that, right? They like to put it on that black velvet and then they like to turn it around. Because then you can see all the flashes of color. Well, that's the way First John is. There's, there's all these flashes of, of truth that, and throughout his epistle. And uh, this is why as we begin to progress through this epistle, we read of these elements of light and righteousness and love. Because these are the wonderful facets of, God, of fellowship with God. These are the wonderful facets of our fellowship with God. 
And so, uh, so John will highlight a particular truth of God, and then he'll expound how this particular truth in regards to God uh, impacts us in our fellowship with him. And God is light, God is righteous, and God is love. And it is our knowledge of God, according to these things, that our fellowship with God, that's where we receive the joy of our fellowship with God, as we relate to God in these three, in these three things. Now, I want to tell you something about this word knowing. As I pointed out earlier, know is one of the key words of this, of this epistle. I mean, it's mentioned a lot of times. And this knowing that John writes about, understand, it's not this mystic gnosis. You remember what gnosis is? What I told you what gnosis is? Yeah, secret knowledge, or just plain knowledge, to know. Alright? So this, this knowledge that John writes about is not this mystic gnosis of the Gnostics. You know, you don't have to, you don't have to, yeah, mystic gnosis of the Gnostics. <laughs> you don't have to be a part of their club. Right? Because that's what they say. You gotta be a part of our club before you know what we know. You don't have to be a part of their club. Uh, this is knowledge that every born-again child of God can know. So it's not something secret. This is something every one of us can know. That's part of the reason why we have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Because He's our resident teacher. He's the one who makes this book alive to us. He's the one that teaches us. He's the one that shows us this wonderful this wonderful knowledge. And so you don't have to be part of a special fraternity or anything like this. And it's this knowing and living the truth that's in Christ Jesus that produces the assurances and and gives us the certainties and also provides us the joy of our fellowship with God. Okay? Now let me say this. Unless we know how to have genuine fellowship with God in truth, righteousness, and love, or light, righteousness, and love, uh, what happens is we become vulnerable to um, the influences of the many antichrists that John writes about here. And I, I, I've been trying to bring up some of these antichrists that are very active around us, very influential in the church. Now understand when I say the church... I'm talking about the general idea of the church, you know, what the world might see as, a ch- as the church, okay? Um, Christendom, maybe, I, I don't like that term, but we're just talking the general aspect of church, all right? And it, this, this spirit of Antichrist has, got, has, has a big influence in the, in the church at large, and it seeks to undermine our relationship with God. It seeks to steal away from us our joy and give to us a shallow, superficial joy. And I've probably been hammering on that too much. But I'm going to keep hammering on that. I am. I'm going to keep hammering on that. But when the fruit of truth is active and evident and growing in the life of the believer, that's where the real joy comes in. That's where the real joy comes in. When you're walking in the light as he is in the light, when you're righteous as he is righteous, when you love as he loves, that's where the real joy of fellowship comes in. Okay? 
So, um, on your worksheets, let me see where I'm at. We have fellowship with God who is light. That's number two on your worksheet. Right above the little church. Is that where we're at? Is it number one on your worksheet? Okay, number one for you. It's number two on mine for some reason. It's probably just the way the computer did it. Alright, so number one, we have fellowship with God who is light. That's the, that's the title. That's the title. And so the first section here begins here in 1 John 1 5. And the theme from 1 John 1 5 all the way to 1 John 2 28 is God is light. Now this addresses four things. Okay, this addresses four things about our relationship with God. In, uh, in that God is light. Alright? First of all, and this is not on your worksheet, but you notice I put lines for you to take notes? Because I don't want you to get lazy. <laughs> Alright, so, the first thing it affects is our nature. The nature of our walk with Him. The nature of our walk with Him. What kind of walk are you going to have? When you walk with God who is light. That's the nature of our walk with Him. It's also going to affect the quality of our knowing Him. The quality of our knowing Him. You know, He warns about the spirit of error. He warns about the Antichrist. He warns about those who are seducing you. Don't ignore that. Just because you're in a Bible-rich teaching church, don't ignore that. Also, it speaks to the sincerity of our love for Him. The sincerity or the genuineness of our love for Him. And then finally, it speaks to the fidelity of our faith in Him. So nature, quality, sincerity, and fidelity. How faithful am I going to be to He who is light? That's a, those are four big points in our fellowship with God. Okay? So uh, let's read here. Let's go to First John. And let's read this passage. First John chapter 1, starting in verse 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. Now there's a lot there to unpack. A lot there to unpack. But guess what? We're not going to get into the unpacking quite yet. (laughs) Patience. You've got to have patience. You know how I am. I move as quickly as molasses. 
Okay? Alright, so the first blank is we need to establish who the we are. Who the we are. Who is he talking to? Who is he talking to? That's very important for us to understand. Because there are, if you're commentary readers or if you get on YouTube and listen to preachers, uh, you're going to find all sorts of stuff in, in regards to the passages that I just read. In fact, you will find some who will claim that this is not talking about believers, but this is talking about the lost. Is it? I don't believe it is. And let me give you my reasons. Seriously? There are some who teach that this section of 1 John is not talking about saved people. It's talking about lost. And they'll use this passage as evidence to judge folks claiming that they're lost. That is not the point of this passage. Okay? Do not use this passage as a rubber stamp to go around, you're lost, you're saved, you're lost, you're saved. That is not what this passage is teaching. And that's what a lot of people will do. Okay? That's, so that's the long of what I said. Oh, a lot of people will take this passage and they'll use it to be judged, uh, be, uh, Judges of other people. They're fruit inspectors. And we're not to be fruit inspectors. That's not my job. That's not your job. So if we have a clear understanding uh, of the we of this epistle, this will help us to better apply this truth because the, the truth of this passage is going to hurt. Okay? It's going to hurt. And we'll get to it. That's why I'm building up to it. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like a band-aid on a wound. You either rip it off or you peel it off slowly. Well, I'm peeling the band-aid off slowly. <laughs> so 13 times in chapter 1, we read the first person plural pronoun, we. Okay? 13 times. And uh, the the uh, the Apostle John is using this first person plural pronoun. Say that fast five times to refer to himself as well as others who, like him, have believed in the Word of Life, Jesus Christ, who is that eternal life. All right. So here's the short answer. The we that John is addressing are people who believe just like John. Okay? So on your, on your study guide, I made a copy of the study guide. Okay, it's not on, I have highlights. So here, you want to write this down. What John is doing here, is identifying with a group of individuals that believe just like he does. He's identifying with a group of individuals that believes just like he does. That's the short of it. That's the short of it. Now let me give you the proof of it. 
Okay, let me give you the proof of it. Make sure I'm on the right page. The we includes two categories. Okay? The we includes two, two categories. One, the other apostles. That's your blank, apostles. And those who, like John, had seen the Lord Jesus Christ and had believed the gospel from the beginning. John referred to this first category in his first four verses of chapter 1. Now, look at chapter 1 and verse 1. And count how many times the word we shows up. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life, For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. How many times did the word we show up? Eight, I counted seven. But that's still a bunch of times. Right? That's still, so to those to whom John calls the we and the us are those who along with John had seen, heard, looked upon, and even handled the word of life. Right? Now that would of course include the apostles. Correct? That would include the apostles. But it would also include other witnesses. It would also include his other disciples. You remember Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, there was, there was something like 500 other people who had seen the risen Lord. Right? He had seen the risen Lord that had possibly accompanied Jesus during his ministry. He sent out 70 disciples other than the 12. So there were people that were still alive when John wrote this epistle. Otherwise, he would not have said, we, that like John had witnessed in person the Lord Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Now, why is that important? Why is that even important? Because of the seducers. Because of the Antichrist. Because of the false teachers. Making claims they had no right to. This, this, what John is providing here, is the very first assurance to these believers. And we've already covered this. In that what John is writing and what these people have believed in, As far as hearing from the gospel, they heard it from eyewitnesses. People who actually saw Jesus during his ministry, knew that he died, was buried, and rose again, and quite possibly may have even witnessed his ascension. That's the first assurance. That they have, eye, he, they have, that this is an eyewitness account, and they can be assured of what they believe. 
Ephesians 2.19 says, Now therefore we are, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So the testimony and preaching and teaching of the apostles and the prophets, those who preached the gospel, like Silas and those guys, as well as the Lord himself, he says, this is the cornerstone of your faith. You can believe it. You can believe it. That's the first assurance. Now the Gnostics, they like to make the claim that they have this secret knowledge or this superior knowledge. Where do they get this secret knowledge? Where do they, they pull it out of their hats? I'm being polite. That's where they get it from. They pull it out of their hats. Or they heard it from an angel. Or they discovered it in another gospel according to Joe Blow. If you remember, if you remember, uh, 2 Thessalonians. The Thessalonian church was all in a tizzy. They thought they were going through the tribulation. They thought they had missed the rapture. Why? Well, Paul alludes to the reason why. Because someone had written to them an epistle and claimed it was from Paul telling these folks, hey, we missed the rapture. We're going through the tribulation. It happened in the days of Paul. It happened in the days of John. And guess what? It's happening today. It's happening today. Come on, guys, you've heard this gospel according to Thomas. All this stuff that's out That's all apocryphal writings. That's, that's stuff that's made up afterwards. That's not from the revelation of God. So don't buy into that stuff. Don't buy into that stuff. I don't care how clever the argument they make. Don't buy into it. We've got all we need right here. And don't let anybody convince you otherwise. So John is saying, hey guys, what you are believing, you've got an eyewitness report on. And I believe that there were still some alive during John's day that uh, were eyewitnesses just like John. Yeah, John was a very old man. But... We all get old, right? And who's to say that some of these other witnesses didn't get old just like John, right? I mean, I can't hardly believe that John was the last surviving eyewitness. I just can't. In fact, John says in 1 John 2.13, he says, I write unto you fathers because ye have known him that is from the beginning. 1 John 2.13 This knowing him from the beginning is not just a mental or intellectual knowledge of someone, right? Uh, But these to whom John mentions, these fathers, are like John himself. These guys had first-hand knowledge, even acquaintance with our Savior. Even a personal acquaintance with our Savior, being in His presence, hearing Him and seeing Him. 
It's not the kind of knowledge that we might speak of someone who may be advanced in age in regards to their faith. You know, we've got some folks in our own church that are that way. But a person who comes to my mind is Bob Bolkin. I would consider Bob Bolkin a, a father in regards to the faith. Because he's been walking with the Lord for a, a lot longer than I have been. But that's not what John's talking about. John's talking about fathers who saw the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about. So on your study guide, where the sheep or the wolf and the sheep head is, John's assurance is the word to these believers is, is that what they have been taught concerning the gospel that saves is based in truth seen, heard, and handled of the word of life. He's got an, they've got an eyewitness account. Also that because of this they can be sure of what they believe and are to reject these antichrists and false teachers that have come with their seducing lies and false teachings. Reject seducing lies. 1 John 4, 2-3 Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist. Whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. You see, that's the problem with the church in general today. It is so ready to receive anyone as long as they've got this Christian label attached to them. And it's nothing more than the spirit of Antichrist infiltrating his lies and his errors into the church. Why do you think the church is in such a mess today? It's because the church is naive. I mean, okay, I'm going to get on a soapbox. If you read the first three chapters of the book of Revelations, I think it's the first three chapters, and it gives you that church history. The spirit of Antichrist was working even in the very first church mentioned, Ephesus, and it has been going all the way through up to our current time, which is what? What is the church age we're living in now? Laodicean. He's just perfected his craft in the Laodicean age. But all of that turmoil, all of that trouble, all of those things that the Lord spoke against some of these churches was because of the spirit of Antichrist infiltrating these churches with his errors and his lies. That's why we've got the mess that we've got. So John is writing to them, Hey guys, you can believe what you've been told because we saw it. We were there. And guess what? The same assurance that was theirs is ours. Now, there isn't anybody alive that I know of that has personally seen Jesus Christ. There's a lot out there who claim that they have seen Him. (laughs) 
but actually physically see him, I don't think there's anybody still alive. But we have the very same assurance because we've got the written, the written, the written record of those eyewitnesses right here in your in your laps and in your hands. John 20, verse 30 through 31 says, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. And of course, he's talking about his gospel. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. 1 John 5.10 through 11. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. That's that anointing, the Holy Spirit. He that believeth not, God hath made him a liar. Because he believeth not the record that God gave his, of his son, and this is the record that God had given us to, given to us eternal life, and this life is in his son. The spirit of Antichrist has been operating for a long, long time. And its number one target, its number one target, the target that's in the spirit of Antichrist crosshairs is what? Family. Family. What do you think it is? It's the record. It's the word of God. Yea, hath God said. It's the word of God that's in the crosshairs of the spirit of Antichrist. And he has been from the very beginning targeting God's word to destroy it, corrupt it, hinder it from getting into people's hands, because he knows that it is the light that will expose his darkness. So it's the Word of God that's been... Why do you think we have so many translations and so many paraphrases? Why do you think the King James Bible is being attacked and vilified? And anybody who believes in the KJV is a, is a, is a nutcase. Why do you think that is, folks? Why do you think there's such an issue? It's because of the spirit of Antichrist. Because he targets, yea, what? Yea. <laughs> Thank you. Some, for some reason, it got all jumbled up. Yeah, that's what he's been attacking from the very beginning. We have it, folks. Don't let it go. The second category. Yep, second category. The second category would be those that had believed the record of those who had seen Jesus. And by believing have received eternal life. Believed eternal life through the gospel concerning that eternal life which is Jesus Christ. First John 2.21, I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it. And that no lie is of the truth. Is of the truth. Now I I spoke about a general church, right? A church that the world sees, the church that the spirit of Antichrist displays to the world. That type, uh, you know. So who is this? Who are we talking about? Well, this would be the true church. Who is the true church? 
Is it this building? Is it the Catholic Church? They claim to be the true church. No, it's you and me. It's you and me. The body of Christ. Believers like himself of like faith who are called the sons of God, 1 John 3, 1 through 3, and the children of light, Ephesians 5, 8, 1 Thessalonians 5, 5, John 12, 36. This would be you and me. If you are born again of the Spirit of God, you are a child of God. John chapter 1 and verse 12. Alright? So, if you are a born again believer, you are the church. You are a member of the church. I think in some place we're referred to as living stones. Living stones. We are the household of God. I talked about that. And um, the true church crosses all denominational lines. Crosses all boundaries and borders of countries. Don't... uh, Okay. (laughs) I'll probably get in trouble for this. Don't be so conceited in your own minds to think that Baptists are the only true church. Because let me tell you, there's some pretty wacky Baptists out there. Alright? The true church is anyone who believes unto salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether you're Lutheran, Presbyterian, Methodist, bottom line is... The gospel. Do you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for your salvation? That's bottom line. I even know Roman Catholics who trust in that. So that's the true church. That's the true church. Okay, I'm going to start getting nasty. Turn to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. You remember in the book of Revelations, it says of every tribe, kindred, tongue, right, is going to be in heaven with the Lord. So that's the church, born again believers. John chapter 12, verse 35 through 36. I'm going to get, I'm going to get in your face. I apologize. Ahead of time. Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. Now historically... In the Gospel of John, Jesus is speaking these words to the Jews, to those Jews who were vacillating in their opinion of Jesus. These men and women were vacillating in their, in their opinion of him. They were wrestling in their minds, is, is he the Christ or not? You know, is he the promised one or not? Um, You know, Jesus is admonishing these people who were well-versed in their scriptures, because the Jews took their scriptures very seriously. And they raised their children up in scriptures. Remember what Paul said about Timothy, him being raised up in the scriptures? 
So they took their scriptures seriously. These people were eyewitnesses of his miracles. They saw him heal lepers and blind people and stuff. So they were witnesses of his miracles. They heard his words. They saw the Pharisees and the Sadducees unable to refute or, you know, his words because his words were truth. And yet, they could not make up their minds about him. They could not make up their minds about him. They could not make up their minds whether or not he was the Christ or not. And what Jesus is admonishing these people is, hey, make up your minds. Make up your minds. Because if you don't, you risk the failure, you risk of, of staying in darkness. Because I'm not always going to be with you. And if you don't make up your mind now, that darkness is going to increase. That darkness is going to increase. That's a very sober warning. Proverbs 29.1 says, He that being often reproved or hardeneth his heart shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. Now this is where uh, I'm going to appear to be mean. And I don't mean to be mean. I, I want... I want folks to understand the seriousness of this. There are many today who sit under sound biblical preaching and teaching Sunday after Sunday, well versed in the Bibles. In the Bible, they can they can quote the Scripture back at you. Pert near everybody can quote John three sixteen. They mentally acknowledge the truth. But yet, they remain in darkness. They still remain in darkness. They're either unwilling to submit themselves wholly to salvation, right? Or they may be saved, but unwilling to commit their life to being a follower of Jesus. Now, is that a true statement or not? You know it's true. Because we've all been there. Some of us may be there right now. And I'm not speaking about just completing a set of courses. I'm not saying anything about going through material or putting your time in classes or showing up for, you know, for service. Any warm body can do that. Any warm body can do that. And I'm not minimizing any of that either. For that's profitable. That is profitable. I'm not trying to minimize any any of that. But what John in his gospel and what Jesus is addressing here is the surrendering of one's heart. Because I think that's the problem with a lot of people. They'll present their bodies, but they hang on to their heart. They are unwilling 
to give God their heart. Oh, I'll give my body. I'll give this, I'll give that, but you can't, you can't have my heart. You can't have my heart. Need to surrender as one heart, mind, and soul to the Lord Jesus Christ. And a lot of people are just reluctant to do that for whatever reason. Yeah. Maybe they're scared. It's scary. You know? What if God calls me to the deepest part of Africa? It's scary. Let me give you a personal testimony. As a as a very young believer, I just had just come to the Lord. I'd probably been saved for I don't know, maybe maybe a year, maybe a year. But I came to a personal crisis point in my life uh, concerning my relationship with God and my family and my friends and even my coworkers. And. Um, I think that's something that I think many of us might uh, say, hey, yeah, that's me. I've been there. At that particular time in my life, there was, a, there was great pressure in my heart. And I could sense God's call upon my life. But at the same time, there was a strong pull from my family and from my friends and for my co-workers, uh, they, they couldn't understand the struggle that was going in, on inside. Right? They, they just couldn't understand that. They didn't know what was going on in my life. And so I was at what I would consider a, a spiritual crossroads. And, they, you know, and I was getting resistance from my family and, you know, you know, it's okay that you, you know, you believe in God, but don't take this God thing too far. Don't get crazy about this God thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just you know, don't go overboard. So one day I was reading the Bible, and you might remember this. It was in the living room in the old house on Circle. I was reading in my Bible, and I read uh, Luke nine sixty two. In Luke 9.62, you know one of those times when you read in the Word of God and the Holy Spirit just kind of slaps you around with whatever you're reading? Like, look, see what I'm saying to you? Well, that's one of those moments. So in Luke 9.61-62, And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. That's where I was. That's where I was. Verse 62, And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. If you would have taken a two-by-four and hit me in the forehead, you couldn't have hit me any harder than the Holy Spirit did that day. On your worksheet... As in any relationship, there are certain conditions. Certain conditions to be met if one desires that relationship to prosper and be fruitful. That's true in any relationship. 
there are certain conditions within a marriage that a husband needs to meet and a wife needs to meet in order for that relationship to work. There are certain conditions to be met in friendships, in family, even on the job. These certain conditions must be met if that relationship, whatever that relationship is, to function and be successful. It's no different in our relationship with the Lord. In fact, it's even more so. The key to any relationship is one's heart attitude in that relationship. The heart is really the heart of the matter. Come on, guys. If you're not, if your heart is not into something, how is that something going to turn out? Huh? How's it going to turn out? 1 John 3, 19-21 says, And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. If our heart condemneth, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemneth not, then have we confidence toward God. You see, when I read that passage as a brand new believer, with all of this pressure from family and friends and co-workers, don't go overboard, don't go overboard. When I read that passage, I knew at that time I need to make a decision. I either put my hand to the plow and follow Jesus, or I don't. Or I don't. What scripture was that? Uh, Luke nine sixty one through sixty two. Oh. Now I thought about that decision because I knew that if I made the decision to put my hand to the plow, I was going to get a strong reaction from my family. My family were they're strong. They're strong Roman Catholics. And did we not get a strong reaction? We sure did. We sure did. I also knew that we were going to get a strong reaction from our friends. From our lost friends. Because at the time, we still hang out, hung out with a lot. You know what? We didn't leave our lost friends. It was our lost friends leaving us. Co-workers. Um... Almost lost my job over this. Because there were things I refused to do on the job that I was asked to do on the job that I knew was not right. And I almost lost my job over it. Yeah, there's a cost to pay. There is a cost to pay, but let me tell you something it's worth the cost. It's worth the cost. If you're serious in your relationship with God, put your hand to the plow. And don't look back. Don't look back. We need to put our hand to the plow. And let me tell you something. When you do that, God will give you the confidence. God will give you the confidence. 
We need to put the hand to the plow because let me tell you something. What it does for us is it breaks up the fallow field of our hearts. Do you know what a fallow field is? It's a hard, unplowed field. Yep. Now, who in here has a, a, a heart that's not fallowed in some area? Yeah. <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about. But unless we give our heart to the Lord, that fallow field's not going to be broken up. And let me tell you something else. When that, fa- when that fallow field of your heart is broken up, then God prepares us to break up other fallow fields of other people's hearts. Because God can then use a man who puts their hand to the plow. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. That's when we begin to know the joy of our fellowship. That's when we begin to know the joy of our fellowship with God. When we are willing to give our time to God. When we are willing to give our hearts to God. When we are willing to meet His conditions in that relationship and not demand our conditions. Because let me tell you something, folks. The teaching out there is just the opposite. The teaching out there is uh, God must meet your conditions in a relationship rather than you meet His conditions. Well, if God doesn't come through for me, or if God doesn't give me my needs or my wants, if God doesn't give me that, that Mercedes I've been praying for, you know, that's what's being preached out there, folks. It's even in the music. Some of the music to me when I listen to... I know, I'm going to... Some of the music, when I listen to some of the contemporary Christian music, to me it sounds like a teenage boy yearning over a teenage girl. Okay, I'm off my soapbox. I will attest to that, So on your worksheet, study guide, next to the plow, our understanding about the character of God, God is light, God is righteous, and God is love, is crucial for us in this matter of experiencing joy and fellowship with God. When we understand the character of God, then we are meeting His conditions in this relationship. When we understand that God is light, God is righteous, and God is love, that's where we begin to meet His conditions. And that is where the assurance and the certainties and the confidence comes from. Continuing on about to whom this epistle is addressed, in John's epistle, the we that the Apostle John is addressing is, is addressed to those who believe and received the light that Jesus Christ is. The light that Jesus Christ is. That's the we of John's epistle. Those who believed in the light. 
those who have believed in the light. Almost done. 1 John 4, 1-13, he says, Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he hath given us of his Spirit, and we have seen and do testify the Father, sent the Son to be the Savior of the world, whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Do you personally have that assurance for yourself? Do you? Because that's critical, folks. Don't have an assurance for your wife or for your husband. Make sure that assurance is yours personally. Yours personally. So we got a few more blanks. Uh, this identifying of the we, in case you're not convinced. Uh, John also addresses them in this epistle in other ways. And that's your next blanks. My little children, or a little children. Uh, so I gave you the references if you want to check it out. Brethren. Brethren. Uh, sons of God. Children of God. Beloved. And born of God. All of that is how John addresses these individuals to whom he's writing. That's the we. That's the we. John consistently addresses the recipients of of this epistle, and he clearly makes distinctions between the we and them. (laughs) All right? Don't miss that. Because you're going to have people who will teach you that we are them and that them are we. Don't let them do that. And more importantly, make sure that you're in the we category and not in the them category. Because what he has to say about them is not very pleasant. And so the last blank. So the we that John addresses are the children of light. That's your blank. Born of God by the Spirit of God, John 1.12, John 3.3, according to the record of God that is true. Now I make a point of this because, like I said, there are some who will take 1 John and they'll teach 1 John uh, from the aspect that the we can lose their salvation or that the we has never been saved at all and that these are proofs of such a teaching. That is not the theme of First John. First John is not a fruit inspection epistle. Okay? It's not. It's talking about how to have fellowship with God. The, the we having fellowship with God. 
when you pay attention to what John is writing, he never says the we can lose their salvation. Never. He's encouraging the we, he is admonishing the we to have fellowship with God, and he's warning the we, I know, W-E, of those who are trying to seduce them. Okay? So the issue is this, and I'll stop here. Are the we taking full advantage of the joy that is theirs in fellowshipping with the Father and with His Son, or have they allowed someone or something to woo them away? That's the issue. Where are you at? That's the issue. Okay, we'll pick this up uh, next week. Let me close out in prayer. In fact, Mitch.